Don't you wish that your children came with an instruction manual? Some form or fashion of a, you know, you can't buy a pillow in the store or a magazine, or excuse me, a, a, uh, an appliance in the store. It doesn't come with an owner's manual. But somehow God arranged it where you get a child without any owner's manual. You know, wouldn't it be great to have some form of an owner's manual that would help us to understand where we go from here? I can remember whenever my mother-in-law drove away from our Memphis apartment and we had, she, she, she had the audacity to leave our newborn baby with us. We didn't know what we were doing and we didn't know what the whimpers meant. We didn't know what all of that meant at all. And we were having to figure it out on our own. And uh, we're not professionals at this and we're not perfect at this. And maybe that's the first thing you have to realize as a parent is that you're not perfect. Your child isn't going to be perfect. Because they come from imperfect stock. All right, let's start with that one. But they're just not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. But how can we, in this world of imperfection, in the imperfection of my own heart, how can I maybe get on track in such a way that maybe my child, my son, my daughter rises a little higher than I do? Has a little bit better marriage than I have, and I may have a great marriage. Has a little bit closer relationship with God than I have. And even though I'm striving for that, how can I get that further down the road? An interesting thing is, is I think a lot of people desire this, but they don't maybe know the handles to grab a hold of it. It was interesting. A study was done by the University of Nebraska. Dr. Nick Sinnott, the chairman of the department, did this research and researched 3,000 families trying to figure out what made for a lasting, strong, endearing, and enduring marriage and family. And they came out of this 3,000 families, and it just what bubbled to the surface were about six qualities that made for strong families. Now, you want to jot these down and kind of mark your life, mark, mark your family by them, that's fine. Maybe there's room in your notes. If not, make room for them. Just kind of think about them as we go along. But is your family... Do they have these six qualities? And if you're early on in your marriage or you're just in the engagement stage, let's build these into the fabric of the marriage now. All right, here's number one. Jot them down. Number one is a strong family. They are committed to the family. They are committed to the family. It is something that they absolutely are sold out on. Number two is they spend time together. That means intentionally Carving out, scheduling, making room in the calendar for face-to-face conversation, family time. We have found a struggle just sometimes to eat meals together in the McDaniel house. I don't know about you. Schedules don't permit it. Meetings, ball games, all these extracurricular activities are supposed to add value. Many times subtract family time. you got to make time together. Number three is they have a good family communication. Good listening skills, good understanding skills, good articulation of what they believe and feel and want and so forth. Number four is they express appreciation to each other. All right, Mother's Day isn't a once a year thing. It's an everyday thing. All right. Father's Day, the same. Children, it's your day all the time anyway. So we move on. Number five. Have a spiritual commitment. I thought it was interesting that a secular university does a study of 3,000 families and they on their own determined that one of the qualities of a strong, healthy family was there was a spiritual element involved. 
To what degree is spirituality and your relationship with Christ being manifest? And then number six, are they able to solve problems in times of crisis? It's not swept under a rug. It's not ignored. It's not just gone away. You don't just just kind of leave it there as some great big elephant in the room and not talk about it. It's literally talked about. There's resolve. There's conflict resolution that's acted out. Now, the interesting thing is those Bible verses that you see along the, the side there, Nebraska University, University of Nebraska did not put those there. I took about 15 minutes and looked through those and thought, there's a verse for that, there's a verse for that, there's a verse for that, there's a verse for that. The interesting thing, as you sit here and think about it, is the University of Nebraska went in and found out what the Bible has been talking about for years. Now, I think it's pretty awesome whenever the secular world, the educational world, the scholastic world comes in and discovers something that's already been revealed and that is actually revealed in Scripture. And so I overlaid those scriptural verses. In your life, if you need a manual for raising your children, this is not a bad place to start. All right? Let's go here. Let's think here. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, if you're really astute, you notice that I skipped over the entire chapter 5. It doesn't mean that I don't believe in chapter 5. We will come back and talk about chapter 5 in the weeks ahead. But being Mother's Day, Paul and I couldn't get on the same page when we were writing when he was writing this out, and because uh, it didn't work out on the calendar. So I'm skipping over. But it's all we're not breaking any contextual rules here because from chapter four to chapter six, Paul is simply going through paragraph after paragraph, section after section of different ways we apply the Christian faith. How, because of chapter 1 to chapter 3, how does it affect our life and the way we live out our life? We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks now, but it even will affect our family. The Christian faith should spill over into our family. It should affect the paradigm of the way we live out our life and our uh, together. In chapter 6, basically you come to four verses I want to look at today very quickly kind of put a wrap on this emphasis on the family today. And as you think about it, there are two key words that you need to see that kind of pop off the page. Now, you won't see these words here, but there are two key themes that come through again and again. One is affirmation and one is instructions. There's instructions and affirmation through this. Affirmation being that form of encouragement, that form of building up, that form of enabling yourself to, enabling someone else to walk a little higher to stand a little taller. That's affirmation. Instruction, though, is the fact that your kids aren't going to get there without some sense of a compass in their life. Somebody standing in their life and helping to point the way for them. So I want you to think about those two words because those two words are throughout this passage. Four verses, and if you see them, they just kind of start unfolding. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says it like this, Children, obey your parents. That's instructional, very clear, very emphatic, imperative. Here it is. Do this. Children, obey your parents. Now, I know that as we say that, because I was a youth one time, many moons ago, but I was a youth one time, and I can remember hearing that phrase. And I have to say this as a little bit older on down the scale today, that as a parent, when I give instructions to my kids, I promise you that I'm not trying to ruin your life. I promise you that I'm not trying to embarrass you. I guarantee your mother did not go through the valley of the shadow of death to bring you into this world 
to ruin your life. And that your dad doesn't work 40, 50, 60 hours a week to bring home the bacon, to provide you with the eye touch, the iPad, the eye whatever you want, so that you can be more eye centered. So that you can, he didn't do that and to ruin your life, all right? There's something behind the instructions that they give. But he goes on to say to the children, he goes on to say, to honor your father and mother. That's the affirmation part. There's an element of affirming. And he even gives a carrot to the to, to all the children in, in the room today. He says, and by the way, if you do this, that it will be that it may be good with you, uh, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Pretty cool promise, but that promise is attached to the condition that you will honor your father and your mother. But then he goes on and he gives another form of affirmation. I don't like it the way he does it though, because he talks specifically to the fathers. I think Paul's picking on the dads here for a little bit. He could have said parents and it had been all right, but he picks on the dads. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't get your, don't get your kids all riled up. Now, I don't know if Paul had hung out at some baseball fields and saw some, some, some little league dads or he, he, he had CEOs in the congregation there in Ephesus and, and that they were being CEO dad in the family or, or what it was that he had to Pick on the fathers for a moment. But I think anybody who's influencing children need to realize that we don't need to provoke, agitate, stir up our children to wrath, to anger. Now, we'll talk about that. We'll break that apart in just a moment, but hang on to that. And then he gives some instructions, though. He says, but do this. Bring them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord. Now, there are two challenges in this passage. Right there, they're before you. The two challenges, one to children and one to parents. One to children and one to parents. He talks first to the children, he talks to the parents. There's this dynamic relationship that goes on. And in each of those relationships, there needs to be affirmation and instruction. Affirmation and instruction. You see that in both of these challenges. So let's first of all talk to the children. Any children in the room? Raise your hand. That's everyone. That's not a trick question. All right, raise your hand if you're a child. If you're breathing, raise your hand. All right. You're a child of somebody, so think about it. And I'll tell you right now, coming to this passage right here is not easy. And let me just get really kind of serious for a moment because I battled with this passage all week because I think about obey your father and your mother. And I think about situations where people in this room right here right now did that as a child. They put themselves in trust in a vulnerable situation and they got abused. They were physically, sexually, verbally abused. And I know even still as a grown adult, you're still wrestling with feelings when you come to a day like a Mother's Day, and you think, I can't honor my mother because of. You come to a Father's Day, I can't. I have a hard time obeying my father because of. Because there was some abuse that was there. And I know it's real, and I know it's more common. I know it's more common. And many people let on. And I know that as Paul is speaking here, he would, I can't believe he would want you to say, yes, I will obey you into an abusive situation. All right? So I think be very cautious there. But, you know, I know some in this room, maybe they didn't suffer from abuse, the physical, the sexual, or the whatever. But maybe it was just neglect. Neglect. Maybe it's an absentee father. Maybe it was a, Maybe it was a parent who didn't have anything to do with you. And you go up and you grow up in this world and you 
And you, you're chased by that daunting wound in your heart. And you wonder, how can I honor my father or my mother? How can I do that when I have been so wounded? And I know that that is a very real reality. And, and I'm trying to make conditional clauses to the text. He doesn't do that. I don't want to do that. But I want to say that this, that I know that it's a precarious situation you're dealing with when you have abuse and neglect that comes into the situation. Now, I, listen, if abuse and neglect falls into your category, if your parents take away your Xbox and your Facebook and your, uh, your cell phones, I'm sorry, you're not going to get much sympathy. All right, that's not what I'm talking about by abuse and neglect. I'm talking about the real stuff. But let's, let's, let's drill down on this instruction. What does he say? He says, obey your parents. That's the first thing he gives us as children that we need to do. Look at verse, oh, you don't have it in your, your notes, but it'll be on your screen. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. What will happen to you? For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, just imagine the promise in that if you will listen to what your parents say, if you will lean into what your father says and the wisdom and the, and the counsel of your mother, it will be like a garland to your head and a pendant to your neck. You will be decked out in this world. There will be value add to your life whenever you listen to the strong biblical counsel of a mother and a father walking with God. Think about that. Think about your parents as you grew up. This day on Mother's Day, let's talk about mothers for a moment. I would say today, one of the most valuable things you might do today is you might zero in on one thing. One piece of garland, one pendant that your mother has given you in your life that has given you the wisdom to be where you're at today. Think about it. What's the one thing? Oh, you can go buy the Hallmark card or the Dayspring card or any of the other cards that are out there. And you can write up a little note in there. But I want you to drill down. I want you to think about it for yourself and own one thing, one valuable piece of nugget of information, of wisdom that your parents gave you. Growing up in a single-parent home with a hairdresser's salary and no child support and three boys, we weren't exactly the wealthiest kids in town. And I can remember, like every other kid, when my friends got new Nike shoes, I wanted new Nike shoes. Now, this, is, this will date you, and some of y'all will know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all won't know. When they got, came out with Levi button flies. Remember button flies? All right. I wanted Levi button flies. We couldn't afford Levi button flies. All right. That was, that was something that I wanted. But my mother said, can't do it. But she instilled this one nugget garland pendant around my neck that I've carried with me to this day and has shaped my, my work ethic to this day. She said, Mike, you know what? You can have anything you want if you'll work hard enough for it. Now, that's not extremely proverbial. You'll find it in a poster in some gift shop. But it shaped my life. If I want anything bad enough, I'll work for it. You know what? That's my mother. What's your mother giving you? Think about it. And think about it today and zero in on it and obey that wisdom. But also there's an affirmation that comes in 
He said, not only obey, but he also says honor. Honor your father and your mother. He literally lifts this right out of Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, and plops it over in Ephesians. It's this Old Testament reference to, to, to the life that we need to live still to this day. Honoring, holding up high with great respect and awe. You remember the first trophy you got as a child growing up? Remember that first one? Maybe you were at first grade, second grade. I don't know how old you were. I've got my first trophy. See that thing? <sighs> That's what it says. T-ball champs, the Braves, 1976. We were undefeated. They kept score back in that time in the dark ages. Uh, T-ball champs. I remember getting this trophy. And I can remember we were green and white. I, I remember everything. I fell in love with baseball. And this was my trophy. And I can remember holding on to it. And you know what? My mother recently gave it back. Well, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, she cleaned out some stuff and she gave it back to me. And, and I laughed at it and I held it and I looked at it and I see the scuffs and the marks and the broken bat and, and all that kind of stuff. Man, this was my first. This, this was my first trophy. And there have been so many times that, I, you know, you're cleaning up stuff and I'm not really, I'll throw something away in a heartbeat. And so I, I, I picked this up and I have gone like this several times. But I know once I throw it away, I won't ever get it back again. And it's only a T-ball trophy. And this is broken and it is a little faded. It was a little scuffed up. But you know why? I picked it off my shelf before I came here today. The top shelf in my office at home. Somehow it just keeps making its way back there. You know what? Your parents may be a little tattered and torn, a little unpolished, a little imperfect, but they're still top shelf parents. Honor them today. Find that one nugget, and when you talk to your mother, when you write your mother, and maybe your mother's not even living anymore, write her a letter today and tell her thank you for that one nugget, that garland, that pendant that she hung around your life. Let's talk to the parents for a moment before we're finished. Parents, any parents in the room? All right, not a trick question on that one. You know, one of the things I wish I'd learned earlier, having 18, 16, and... Uh, and a 12-year-old, is I wish that I had learned that parenting is not science. Science would be easy. Science is for, formulatic. Science is like computer science. If children were like science, you would sit down to the computer, you would figure out their formulas, you would figure out their systems, their operating system, and you would live it, Okay. And every day you would just type it in. And every now and then a virus would come up, you'd zap it. All right? Whatever it is, it'd be really easy. You just live in the, in the computer science world. And it's just science. That's really easy. It's not. Children, parenting is not science. It's art. And you know one thing about art? is art is very subjective. Art is very dynamic. Art is changing. Every child, you have 15 children, every one of them will be different. You could have a, the reality is that though I want to force them to be like me, I'm science, okay? I want, to, I want you to look like me, act like me, like what I like and think like me. And when I as the parent, the big guy, the strong guy, the, the man who wears the pants in the home tries to force my child 
to be like me or to think like me, then it causes a rub. It causes a serious rub. And it was a few years ago whenever George, Caleb and I, and it was my fault because I wanted Caleb to think like me, believe like me, act like me, and like what I liked. And whenever it wasn't working out and we were really not jiving, we sent him to counseling to get him fixed so he would be like me. And then the counselor said, we need to talk. And so we, I go in to figure out how he fixed Caleb and find out that, no, we need to talk about you and how you need to understand your son and how you need to see that he is different than you. And so the realization that it is art, not science. And there's so much more I could say to this, but I don't have time. But what happened many times in that affirmation thing is I was provoking. I was provoking. I was provoking Caleb to anger. See, parents, steer your children, don't stir your children. Steer them, don't stir them. Don't provoke them. Don't anger them. Don't get them riled up. And many times whenever we're trying to make them like us, when they're not living up to our expectations, and I, I wish I had another hour I could spend just on this right here. But beware of that. Don't provoke your children. Verse 4, he says that. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But then he gives us the instruction. Instruction is this, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There's a challenge to instill into our children. We need to, this is the instruction as parents, we need to help our children. Even though, listen, I'm going to make my children mad. If I don't make them mad, I'm going to make them a brat. All right? Because they don't get everything they want. All right? And that's not the provoking of the wrath. I just need to be aware of what I'm doing and the, the why behind their reaction. Parenting's art. It's difficult. But what we as parents need to figure out is how we can challenge and instill into our children. It's interesting that discipline and instruction of our children, if we don't steer them, who will? If we don't, if we don't give them guidance, who will? A Minnesota Crime Commission offered this assessment of children in delinquency. They said every baby starts off like a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch, deny these, and he sees rages and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent and permitted to continue. Self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to to his impulsive action. Every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. Not exactly the most encouraging prospect of your children. But we, as parents, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of of the Lord. Here's here's just a reality check for us all. We at Grace Point Church want to help in that process. We can't do it, but we can help with it. Here's a commitment. Here's a realization that we all need to make. The church can help, complement, and support, but, but it will be you who transfers or doesn't transfer the faith and values you want the next generation to live. We want to help, but it's up to you. You want your children to have virtues and values? 
that's going to be in your court. What we want to do is help. Now, what's the challenge today? The challenge is pretty simple. To parents, don't stir your children. Steer them. Steer them with instruction and discipline. Yes, and there's a challenge to us children to obey and honor. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that as we think about families today and we start with these these children and these parents so much in the beginning stages of their life, And how are they going to make it and navigate all of it? By having godly parents who will steer and not stir them to anger. Lord, help us to be the church that we need to be that will help reach out to the next generation and help transfer values and virtues that will change their life and shape them forever. And may we as the church And the families come together on the same page, seeking the same goal, that Christ would be formed in our children. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.